Matt Gates has basically admitted that he did, in fact, traffic at least one underage child for sexual purposes. This morning, breaking news in the scandal surrounding embattled Congressman Matt Gates. Sources are confirming a report in the New York Times that Gates asked former President Trump for a blanket presidential pardon weeks before Trump left office. And the walls are closing in on Twitter troll Matt Gates as news surfaced that the congressional candidate from Fort Walton Beach petitioned the twice impeached disgraced former president for a presidential pardon to absolve himself of the alleged crimes of child sex trafficking. Tonight, making her We Make Florida screen share debut, I'll chat with Rebecca Jones, the data scientist with the best chance of sending baby Gates back home to the arms of his rich donor daddy. And I'm just not reading this, and donor daddy has so many different meanings in this context, but I'll stay with the script. We will talk about how she built a multiracial coalition that extends across party lines, which says... In that alliance, it's the alliance required for Florida's reddest district. Oh, there she is. Requ Florida's <laughs> reddest district to send her to Washington. We've got a jam-packed show that it's already getting off to a really great glitchy start. But before, but, but before we begin screen share, we're going to start with the damning news for Matt Gates as new reporting from the Washington Post revealed that the corrupt candidate running for Congress in November sought a pardon related to the Justice Department's sex trafficking probe. The Justice Department is investigating allegations that Gates paid for sex, not only paid for sex, but paid for women to travel across state lines to have sex and had a sexual relationship with a minor. Gates denies these accusations, of course. And if you remember last year, Matt Gates's friend and fellow wingman Joel Greenberg, who served as a Florida tax collector, I might add, pled guilty to six felonies, including sex trafficking of a child, identity theft, stalking, and the list goes on and on and on. If you have a chance, why don't you Google Matt Gates and Venmo? It's a, it's a wormhole that you'll have to scrub your internet browsing history by the time it's all done, but I digress. Meanwhile, the feds have questioned other witnesses in addition to Greenberg who could help build a case against Gates. But let's get back to the pardon, the pardon request, I might add. Part of the process when accepting a presidential pardon is the formal admission of guilt, because you can't be pardoned for a crime you didn't commit. So if this reporting is correct, and it has been correct so far, Matt Gates was willing to confess to sex trafficking of a minor if it meant Mango Mussolini, who also has several sexual assault allegations himself, I may add, pardoned him preemptively. And you know, I said last week, freedom, safety, and decency are on the ballot in November. And the modern Trump Republican Party is filled with social media personalities who spend more time tearing things apart than actually building things. And, and look, these are not my words. These are the words of conservatives. Conservative former House Speaker John Boehner, who, if you remember, gave Barack Obama holy hell when he was Speaker of the House. So this is not some Republican in name only. This is a true conservative who is like, what has happened to my party? Matt Gates and Trump Republicans are absolutely obsessed with Hunter Biden's laptop with, can you imagine though, like if they were obsessed with relieving the hours of traffic that we spend per week on Highway 90? I mean, just picture if Matt Gates rage tweeted about the parts of his district that, that still don't have high-speed internet in 2022. Or if he used that podcast that he's always on to chat about our overcrowded classrooms or, you know, in fact, how, in, how excited we were in the community when the Milton Bakery reopened after the tornado hit. I mean, he has not even invited flood defenders on his podcast. Nope. And a lot of them are Republicans. So, look, I, I am not opposed to people doing outlandish things to get media attention. It, it seems to be what the media requires these days to draw attention to your cause. And I've got to be honest, the, the dude is popular on mainstream media. They, they love him. He's good for ratings. But he also criticizes the media. And in recent social media posts, he, he criticizes them, but he brags about how the first thing he does every morning is put on makeup so that he can always be camera ready. 
So he complains about the media, but he's basically thirsty every single second of the day for a camera. He never uses his media platform or his news media presence to bring attention and awareness to the pressing issues of the Florida panhandle. He doesn't do it. This, this human bottom feeder, for all practical purposes, goes on TV and he uses that platform to insult five-star military generals. He thinks our military servicemen are rubes, you know, country bumpkins with no life experience. And this is in a district that has the largest military presence in the state of Florida. This dude brought neo-Nazis as his guest to the State of the Union address. And hell, he has managed to have videos of Beavis and Butthead even resurface because, you know, kind of looks like one and he thinks like the other. And, and I'll let you decide which one that is. Even Stephen Specht, Stephen Specht, who ran against Babygate six years ago, said, quote, Matt would be an assistant manager at Walmart if it weren't for his daddy. And look, I, I don't have anything about people putting in their hustle at Walmart. But what this, what this shows is that Baby Gates, he's a third-generation politician who cashed in on his daddy's money and, their, and his popularity. And his peepaw was a huge Barry Goldwater for president supporter. Google that jackass. Sorry, Mom. But, but if you have no interest in doing that, I'll just let you know that if Barry Goldwater had run and won for president, the South would still be segregated. So just so you know the stock that this congressman comes from. So tonight I speak with the opponent of this mediocre, low-rent version of his tacky tangerine idol who didn't even find him worthy of a pardon. So talk about how low-rent that is. I want to welcome to Screen Share, Rebecca Jones. Hey, how are you? I got to adapt low-rent. Um, I, I just went with vapid flesh sack, so low-rent's really good, too. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to use that one. I'll credit you, though. But thank, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. So you, you heard my intro, and, and it's filled with Gates drama, none of which, you know, positively serves the country, let alone the people of Florida. And, and you're a data scientist and, and a serious statistical analyzer. What made you want to even get into the ring with someone who just takes joy in the mudslinging of politics? Oh, I've dealt with um, much bigger, much more powerful men than him, and I'm still standing. So Matt Gates is on the list of men that I would ever be afraid of. He's not even on it. Uh, he's more ladylike than I'll ever be or ever want to be. Uh, like he said, he puts on makeup every day. I put mine on like while we were prepping for this because that's not a normal person thing to do. But um, I didn't really want to be political. The most I'd ever really participated in an, any kind of campaign was phone banking back in 2016, and I was super uncomfortable with it. Um, and I, that was the last time I did anything. But for those who don't know, I'm the um, COVID-19 whistleblower, and I was raided at gunpoint without a warrant in December of 2020. And it was while we were being held hostage in my living room for three hours while they waited to get a warrant that I decided that all of my good intentions to just be an advocate for science and for data um, were never going to be enough to shield me or separate me from the political world. And if they wanted to drag me into it, I would make sure that I found a way to get back up on my feet and fight back. So you, you mentioned uh, that your home was raided by, by officials in response to the exposure of state of health officials, basically, who at the very least, according to CNN, tried to contain the type of COVID data that they felt would make the state's pandemic response look bad. And, you know, I firmly believe that every event we experience is meant to teach us a lesson about our lives in some way. So what, what have you learned about yourself through all of this? And why did you pivot, you know, to politics as a means to have an impact on, on public safety and for the people of Florida? Well, having watching my kids be have AR-15s pointed at them and being completely helpless to stop it or to do anything or to even really flinch out of fear that I would get shot or they would get shot um, was a wake up call. It was almost paralyzing to experience. And I wanted to make sure that no one else felt that way or at a minimum there would be consequences for acting that way. 
as far as what I've learned about myself, oh boy, that's that's a book. That's five books. That's a hundred <laughs> like books in a series. It's like the encyclopedia series they used to sell door to door when I was a kid. Um, mm. I think it's for me. It's been a very long journey, and it's going to keep going probably for the foreseeable future. Tyler Schultz is a campaign supporter and a good friend. He's the Theronis um, whistleblower who exposed Elizabeth Holmes and their whole testing scheme. She just got sent to prison earlier this year, and he first started coming forward about what was going on at Theranos eight years ago. So this isn't something that just gets resolved. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, Monday, the whistleblower investigation ended. And I got a one and a half page, not even that one and a quarter page statement from the state saying that they determined that I made a protected disclosure, that I engaged in protected activity as a whistleblower, and that the complaint that I filed demonstrated that the state officials broke the law and in doing so created a unique and specific danger to public health, safety, and welfare of Floridians. Now, I, I was not aware of that, and I'm sorry I didn't know that before in my in my prep. So I appreciate you sharing just that information. Monday, and I'm just, I mean, I've been so insanely busy going everywhere all the time. And I wanted to kind of wait till the press from, you know, DeSantis's human trafficking and then Gates's sex trafficking pardon and, and all the trafficking that's going around before I really blasted it out. But it was so anticlimactic. Um, it was just a letter that said, yeah, they did this. You did things that were protected, but you're, you live in an at will state and they fired you before you filed it. Well, that is very relieving. So for the people, uh, out there that have been watching and have sort of been following this story and there are some that are following it more than, than others, what does this, um, what does this letter basically mean for you and for the, the campaign moving forward? Well, for me, it's the third report to be issued um, this year, although it was the only one I did any interviews for <laughs> um, that verifies that, yes, the state told me to hide data. They instructed me to manipulate statistics. Um, and in doing so, they not only broke the law, but they put people in harm's way. And um, now we get to go to the next step, which is uh, civil action. We couldn't have moved forward until they just issued this one letter, which they could have done two years ago, but uh, waited until now. Okay. So stay right there because when we come back, more with Rebecca Jones and her views on how she plans to make access to affordable health care a priority in Florida. Back in a moment. Americans across our races, backgrounds, and genders value our freedom. But an authoritarian faction at home and abroad is stoking fear to hold on to power. We must protect our freedom to vote, freedom to decide whether and when to grow our families, and freedom for our kids to learn from our past and shape a better future. We can elect new leaders who respect our freedom. Way to Win Action Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. If MAGA Republicans get their way, abortion will be banned nationwide with no exceptions. Medicare and Social Security will end in five years with no replacement. Elections will be decided by politicians with no regard for your vote. If MAGA Republicans get back in power, your rights, benefits, and freedoms will be in danger. Democrats will protect your rights, and the only way to stop MAGA Republicans is to vote for Democrats. FFPAC is responsible for the content of this ad. Americans across our races, backgrounds, and genders value our freedom. But an authoritarian faction at home and abroad is stoking fear to hold on to power. We must protect our freedom to vote, freedom to decide whether and when to grow our families, and freedom for our kids to learn from our past and shape a better future. We can elect new leaders who respect our freedom. Way to win. So we're back and we've conducted some polling across the Florida panhandle asking voters to list the top three issues that have the biggest impact on their lives. 
we asked the question this way because we noticed that when we gave voters a list of issues to choose from, conservatives and liberals sort of self-segregated into their own political corners. But when we didn't give voters a list and simply asked them to tell us, tell us your list, what are the things that concern you? We found the answers, the answers to be you know, the same across the ideological spectrum. Everyone wants a safe home for their family. Everyone wants a decent job that pays them what they're worth. And clearly, based on the polling, everyone wants health care that they can afford. Back with me is Rebecca Jones, candidate for Congress in the 1st Congressional District. You know, in that poll, healthcare polled at number one for Democrats, number one for MPAs, number one for independents, and number two for folks who identify as Republican. Why do you think healthcare is like the number one or number two issue for panhandle voters? And, and are you surprised that Democrats, Republicans, and independents all listed healthcare as a top concern? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. I don't personally know someone who's been hit with a medical bill that they can't afford to pay, at least that they can't afford to pay just when they get it. Um, healthcare in this country is ridiculously expensive. We spend way more per capita on healthcare costs for a lower level of care than most developed and Western nations do. Uh, we have people like Rick Scott who are floating the idea of just getting rid of Medicaid and Social Security. And we have a lot of elderly Americans who depend on that health care insurance to get basic care. We don't really have a health care program in place that is accessible to the general public at a severely discounted price or free that allows for preventative care for a lot of conditions. And every time that we go through a new bout of there's a medication that's ridiculously expensive. What should we do about it? We have people like Matt Gates, who voted against capping insulin at $30 a month and said that people who need insulin to survive should just lose weight or die. And um, I don't think that sentiment was very welcomed in an area where, like much of the South, we do have a high percentage of people with diabetes, type 1 and 2. And people don't, shouldn't have to either pay their rent or pay for a monthly medication that keeps them alive. And there's a lot of people who have been put in that position and they realize how inhumane and backwards that is. And anybody can get diabetes. It doesn't matter what your political party is. And so those kinds of issues are actually impacting people's lives every single day. And that's why they care about it. So you mentioned about people having to choose between a medication and their bills. And when I was speaking with Carolyn Zonia, an ER doctor who's running for state senate, you know, we, we talked about that at length, about how the number one reason for GoFundMe accounts are set up, the reason why they're set up is to cover medical expenses. It's not, you know, to go on trips or to do, um, you know, buy a nice pair of shoes or get or, or get some good swag. It's actually because people are sick and can't afford the health care that they need. So with 80% of Floridians in our district who don't even have enough savings to cover a medical emergency, what has, what has hearing these stories taught you about, you know, health care in this district? Well, it's not just an affordability issue. It's a access and provider issue as well. We are sorely under-resourced in mental health um, facilities and doctors, especially for young people. Um, we still have this epidemic of veterans because we're also the district that has the highest per capita veteran population in the country who have no inpatient mental health resources in this district that has a full-time staff dedicated solely to dealing with the types of trauma that people who have been at war go through when they're struggling with a crisis. Uh, one of the ways I want to fix that is finally bring a VA hospital here because it's ridiculous that you have to drive two states over in the area with the highest density of active and former service members in the country in order to get inpatient care. We need, we're actually, we already have the plan all set. I've worked with he Heather Lindsay, who is the mayor of Milton, to find a place off of the I-10 corridor because that's one of the requirements that would have room. It would have a minimal environmental impact, you know, meet all the requirements that are necessary to have a full service, fully staffed, fully equipped oncology department, mental health response department, everything that we need. Um, we also don't have a lot of emergency rooms. I mean, level one trauma centers, if you get in something that's really, really bad, you might be flown out of here 
to somewhere else. Um, when we were planning for Hurricane Michael, we had to find all of the facilities in the state of Florida that had a helipad. And you would be disturbed to see how few there are. And if you can't get into a doctor, then it doesn't really matter whether or not you can afford it to begin with because there's no one there to see you. And that is one of the other big problems. And of course, I was somebody who was buried in medical debt. Um, I had my son when I was still in college, pre-Obamacare. Uh, he was born in 2009. So, you know, I could have waited like a year in my unplanned pregnancy. That would have been great. But I had a mountain tens of thousands of dollars of college, or sorry, of medical debt. And um, I put that on credit cards and then I put the, that on credit cards and it destroyed my credit to the point where even a year and a half ago, I asked a bank if I could get a home loan. They ran my credit and uh, said, if you wanted to buy a house that was $500,001, we wouldn't lend you $1 if you had the rest in cash. That is how bad my credit was. And between that and student loans, it was just never going to happen. And of course, I finished my coursework for my PhD at a master's of science degree. I managed an entire department at the Department of Health. My husband's a biostatistician. We made over $100,000 a year, couldn't afford a house. And well, I, I can I can certainly echo uh, that sentiment because I, when I finished school, I finished with a lot of debt and I was also declined because they said, yeah, you're a doctor. You're probably going to make good money, but your debt to income ratio is too high. And that's yeah. so can you imagine finishing medical school thinking that, wow, I've done it. I'm going to be a doctor only to have a, 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 you know, a home mortgage lender say, sorry, your debt to income ratio is too high for us. Yeah, I would like to see student loans be treated differently than what they are. I mean, you can't file bankruptcy and get rid of them. They'll still be there no matter what. I mean, pretty much you have to start lopping off body parts and donating organs in order to get the debt rid of, especially with compounding interest, which when I was in college was the height of the 2008 financial crisis at 7.8% interest, which should be criminal. Um, but forgiving student loan interest and canceling out all interest whatsoever is one of the things I want to see done as well. So thanks for bringing that up. You've teased the next story. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about how expensive it is for Floridians to live in Florida and how a handful oh of politicians allow corporate developers to conduct daredevil stunts with our Florida housing market back in 60 seconds. We know what keeps us safe. It's having communities where people of all races and genders have the fair wages, great schools, and health care we need. But for too long, certain politicians have profited by making us fear each other and blocking common sense measures from gun safety to police accountability. We know what keeps us safe, and as voters, we'll deliver it. Four out of five Americans agree. Abortion should be a decision between a woman and her doctor, not politicians. But Republican judges just took your rights away, and they're only getting started. Millions of women will be unable to get the life-saving care they need. It could be someone you love. It could be you. Our rights, our freedoms, and our futures are at stake. Let's fight for them. Choosing your gender, that is just inappropriate. Don't say gay. Critical race theory. Critical race theory. Critical theory. Race theory. Race theory. Race theory. How about two million jobs per year for the next 10 years? That's what Joe Biden and the Democrats just delivered. Good paying jobs, rebuilding our roads, bridges, and country. Democrats and Joe Biden, working for you. Way to Win Action Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. Whether you're from Navarre or Niceville, you know, Pensacola to Perdido Key, parents deserve a safe and comfortable place to raise their families. But what we continue to see is certain politicians focused on what divides us in the hopes of turning us against each other. And there's a reason why they do this. They do this because they want us distracted. They want to avoid the spotlight. They want to shift the focus of the microscope on anything but themselves so that, that they can hand those kitbacks to those wealthy developer donors. 
Rebecca, I've, got, I've gotten questions from both Republicans and Democrats and independents asking about how safe, clean, affordable housing is nearly non-existent in some parts of Pensacola, in some parts of the panhandle. What does economic freedom look like for panhandle voters with you as their congresswoman? So there's a myriad of things that can be done to address affordable housing. Unfortunately, most of it was within the power of the state. So as a congressperson, I want to start pushing for um, basically tax breaks for people who are living in a zip code where the medium household income is the same amount as the you know minimum wage in that place. So giving people tax credits, if there's no affordable housing and they live in a place where there is literally none to be found so that they're not basically going homeless, which is what is happening. And then when people become homeless, we treat them like they're vermin and we keep moving them around from place to place. I, I grew up in a family that couldn't always afford rent. I've slept on park benches and it was no fault of my mother's who were worked any job, every job she could take from, you know, Burger King to hotels to banks, casinos, if she could do it, she did it. It was just the circumstances around us at the time. And certainly myself and my siblings as children didn't deserve what was happening to us. And this kind of hatred towards homeless people, when you're far closer to being homeless than you'll ever be to being a millionaire, to me is disgusting. I think we need a national program to actually account for homeless populations, for at risk of homelessness populations, especially in homes with children, to make sure that stable housing is provided and it's not segregated into these communities where, you know, everybody knows that that neighborhood is just all the poor people who can't afford their house. We need mixed income housing. People should be able to live in the same housing as everybody else. And if we're not paying them enough, if we refuse to raise the minimum wage, which is another thing that we need to do, um, then they need to get a, they need help. And if the state won't do it, then we should. They, it is their job to curb housing prices. We do have mechanisms in place in the state of Florida that can allow for local municipalities, whether that's a city or a county, to enact rent stabilization and rent control measures. And that comes with the authority of the state government and they are refusing to do so. And so creating an, an actual declaration of an affordable housing emergency would enable all of those funds and resources at the national and federal level to help people stay in their homes. We also need to expand home ownership, which was such a quintessential part of the American dream to people without a credit check. Because I know that sounds insane to some, but why are we letting private companies come up with a black box of metrics that's different across every single one of them to determine whether or not you're worthy to pay at a minimum the same of what you're paying every month in rent, but actually own your home. And we need to ban foreign investment companies from buying United States property for the sole purpose of renting to American citizens. I'd like to see some of the actions that they've taken in California to cap how many houses you can use as Airbnb type places. I want to tax Airbnb facilities as corporate taxes instead of, you know, rent is classified when you're given it as a different tax bracket than if you have a business like a hotel and moving properties that people are currently getting rent tax breaks for into the corporate tax break off will disincentivize a lot of what we're seeing because I think it's something like 40% of the properties within a mile of the beach here are now Airbnb or short-term rentals. And that means that nobody who actually lives here can get a place because they're basically getting a tax break for using it as a short-term rental and profiting far more off of it than they would if it was a long-term rental. There's a lot of stuff to that. <laughs> Sorry. There is a lot. You have just like, I'm going to have to do some research on that because you've made me think, oh my God, this, this problem actually is much deeper than even I thought it was. Um, and I appreciate you for, for expounding on that. Um, again, to, to people's pocketbooks, you know, Florida Power and Light has come under some intense yeah. scrutiny by panhandle voters as some folks have seen their rates uh, upwards of 30% hike, you know, hike up 30%. All of this while the power companies are raking in like record-breaking quarterly profits. Charlie Crist had a pre press conference in Pensacola last week addressing what he would do as governor, you know, to hold FPNL accountable for what some would say is price gouging of energy consumers. 
So since you know, since Florida Power and Lighting took over Gulf took Gulf, took over Gulf Power, how how have voters described the consequences of this takeover on their pocketbooks? So I was actually really involved when that first happened. I think it was the switch was between December and January. Um, I hope my husband doesn't watch this because I've been keeping a secret just how much money we paid people. But um, we, <laughs> I personally, well, I, I've told him that we only paid about $15,000 worth of strangers light bills. It's actually closer to 30. Um, and yeah, we don't, he doesn't need to know that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started auditing their data um, and I actually built a dashboard for people to upload their bills. I built an algorithm that would read them. It would calculate the difference and not just, you know, over a month because the one month was longer and crazy Alex Andrade tried to claim that that's why it was, but no, this was an actual significant rate, rate hike. And they're proposing another one right now. And the decisions that were made to do this would be under somebody like Charlie Chris's um, purview because they appoint the people who sit on the public service commission board. Um, and I was actually there for that press conference. And that's one of the things that he mentioned, like right now, one of the people who's on there is getting a six figure salary and is a business graduate student at FSU. No relevant experience, training, education, but her mom is a state representative who's a major donor to Ron DeSantis. So she got the spot. And um, that is the kind of thing that the state would have to handle. But we do have a Department of Energy who is responsible for regulating um, basic energy prices and trade and um, can incentivize alternative energy. So one of the things Florida Empower Light also tried to do was ban rooftop solar. If you own the energy that's being produced from your home, that obviously cuts into their profits. And then they wanted to go a step further and charge you market rate to use energy you produced, which is absolutely insane. Luck That was Alex Andrade's bill as well. Luckily, um, even Ron DeSantis thought that went too far because he shut that one down. But, you know, we were dealing with theft. It's theft. And if we move more towards community grids, solar energy, which we have plenty of here all the time, um, we would see a lot less of this money grabbing, you know, deforestation for solar farms when you have a sea of rooftops that are perfectly capable of having solar panels installed on them. When there are cities who are leading with, you know, solar parking lots to both cool your cars during the hot days and build energy system to feed into local buildings. This stuff is common sense. It's not controversial. It's inexpensive. And yet we're not doing it. We used to have a lot more robust tax credits for things like installing your own solar or buying an electric vehicle, but um, a lot of those have disappeared um, over the last few years. The last time that they were significant was under Obama uh, in his first term, and um, that's something that we need to get back. If we're serious as a country about confronting climate change, dealing with energy shortages like what we saw in Texas, um, about a community grid, then we need to put our money where our mouth is and give people back money they've paid in taxes to create a community energy grid. I'm a climate scientist by education, so um, that's one of the biggest issues for me. And it does absolutely tie into that. And um, when you let a company basically have a monopoly over, I think it is seven eighths of the state's energy production and sale, then there are no competing prices. We don't have a lot of co-ops in this area. And even if we did, they might end up buying the energy from Florida Power and Light at the same rate that they would have charged us for it. And it's, you need a home and you need energy to keep your home safe, especially when it's a hundred and some degrees every day. And uh, if you can't have those two basic things and we failed as a society. Before I go, Commercial to commercial, I want to actually because gotten some good feedback in the comment section. And I hope you don't mind me asking a question that someone asked. Uh, it's a little bit back from what we talked about, but they said, how does she feel about debt forgiveness? And I'm, and I'm assuming that means student loan debt forgiveness. Um, correct me in the comments if that's not what you meant. Uh, but we'll, we'll just assume that she meant student loan debt forgiveness. What are your thoughts okay. on that? Yeah. But not, you know, COVID loan forgiveness of $484,000 and change. That, that part, that part. Matt Gates got. Um, and it wasn't a big PP loan. It was, yeah, it's a little PP. It a little PPP loan. Um, but um, for student loan forgiveness. Uh, Did you say little PP? 
I said PPP. A little, <laughs> a little PPP loan. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So as far as student loan forgiveness goes, my college education should not cost um, more than what it costs someone whose parents could just write a check as soon as they went there. I had a full academic scholarship to Syracuse. That was the only way I was ever going to be able to go. Um, but I took out loans to pay my room and board and then to help me after I had my son so I could finish my degree. I have more than paid back in taxes what I borrowed in student loans. I became a scientist for two different state agencies. I've contributed I need much you to say more. that again. Hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I need you to say that statement again about Which? taxes and student loans. Oh, I said by being able to finish my degree, I've paid back far more in taxes and income taxes than I've borrowed in student loans. And charging people, you know, it, it's variable. I think the interest right now is like three, six or or 4%, but for me, 7.8%. Um, I think that's actually anti-biblical. I think it, there's a Bible verse about interest rates and how much you're large, allowed to charge people. And they like put to death people who exceeded the moral interest rate on their homes or their crops. Um, I think at a minimum, what we need to do is cancel out all student loan interest. If you pay back what you borrowed for an education, which we have a entire culture built around the idea that that is how you escape poverty. That's how I escaped being poor, was getting a scholarship to a school like Syracuse and encouraging people to explore what they wanna do with their life and be able to actually choose it. Now, not everybody goes to college and that's totally fine. There's trade schools, there's no school, whatever makes you happy. But um, my life is infinitely better and I contribute much more to society having been through college. And the fact that I have compounding interest rate at that high of an interest percentage and will end up paying, if I pay the full 30 years, about $240,000 more than what I borrowed is insane. It's immoral. It's inescapable crushing debt. It's the reason why people my age are not having children. It's the reason why we're not buying houses. It's the reason why we're afraid constantly that another Betsy DeVos will get into the Department of Education. And even if we've paid that 10 years into public service, which are jobs we take that we know pay far less than corporate positions. I could have sold out with my degree and worked for an oil and gas company. My husband could have worked for a pharmaceutical company, but we both went into public service to help people, even though that is a significant pay cut because we knew if we put 10 years of public service in, then we would have our loans forgiven. And Betsy DeVos stopped doing that. And so that is very terrifying as somebody who took those loans under the impression that that was part of the contract. And I think if you're gonna renege the contract, then you have to cancel the loans. Well, thanks for that explanation. We have a couple more questions, but we'll get to them after the break. Up next, reproductive freedom is on the ballot mm -hmm. in November. And women from Pensacola to Panama City have joined together to demand that our elected leaders honor the decisions made between women and their doctors. We'll get into that and much more after the break. Stay with us. We've got a mission coming up soon and we need everyone everywhere to join the team. I'm talking your neighbor, your uncle, that woman at work that never laughs at your jokes. The mission to make life better for you and your family. How do we pull it off? By getting every courageous American to vote. Let's get the gang back together because taking action together is how we get things done. Sixty years ago, this seemed impossible. Fifteen years ago, this seemed impossible. Ten years ago, this seemed impossible. We decide what's possible. Be a voter. Most of us, regardless of where we live or what we look like, believe that people should be able to decide for themselves whether, when, and if to have children. 
But as we point out repeatedly on this show, you've got certain politicians who still think that the path to electoral victory is a platform based on this trilogy of division, guns, gods, and abortion. Guns, God, and abortion. Well, what we're seeing now is women saying, you know what? I'm a mom, I work hard, and I work hard for a living, and I should be able to earn a decent living. And dads, fathers, men are saying the same thing. I should be able to afford to provide a healthy meal for my family and also be home in time to eat it with them. Back with me to discuss Rebecca Jones, a data scientist and community advocate who is running for Congress against Matt Gates. You know, Rebecca, as a scientist, you understand the importance of women having access to safe reproductive health care from something, you know, as simple and routine as an annual pap smear to pregnancy-related care. Why do you think suddenly these politicians are scrambling to scrub their campaign websites of anything regarding the topic of reproductive health care and abortion? Because they realize that women hold power and they discounted us as a voting block and as human beings, and they're seeing the impacts of that across the country. We haven't quite seen that in this district in the numbers that I think we've seen in Texas and in other states, but it is a very dangerous thing to go down the path of dehumanizing females and instilling with us an idea that whether or not we want to have kids, whether or not we want to take birth control even, which is what Mississippi is now trying to ban, um, is not a decision we're allowed to make for ourselves. And we have always felt comfortable believing, apparently falsely, that those rights were being protected. And we failed. I get a lot of people who email me saying they're not supporting Democrats anymore because for you know, 50 years we fundraised and talked about how we were protecting Roe and we never codified it into law, even though we had multiple opportunities where we could have. And I'm, I always answer that with, well, please don't judge me by the failures of the past because this is my first time running. I had nothing to do with that. Believe me, if I was in there, I would have done it. Um, but it's not even a discussion about abortion per se. It's about our women people and do they have the right to decide for themselves anything that involves reproduction. And it goes much further than this. I mean, there's a disturbing trend of school districts who won't allow um, tampons to be sold in bathroom dispensers because they're all apparently a large number of Americans who thinks that that's a sexual thing to use tampons um, and a lot of just bad information out there. I was I didn't even know that existed until I approached the school district about paying for all of their um, feminine products in their local, you know, high schools and middle schools with this deal with Tampax. But yes, apparently it is an issue. And people, old people get really outraged, especially with the idea of girls using tampons instead of maxi pads. That is, is that going to be next? You know, it's like that the next thing they're going to go after, they get to dictate everything that we do with our bodies. If it involves the vagina or the uterus, it's like, give me a break. This is none of your business. You may disagree with it. And I appreciate and understand why you might disagree with it, why you would be morally outraged if you truly believed that abortion was murder. I get that. I don't think that's something you could ever convince someone to change their mind on because it's one of those moral things that is partially defining who you are and what you believe. And that's okay. But your right to believe that stops at my body. And I say that as someone who had a child unplanned in the middle of college, you know, risked losing my scholarship and everything else. Um, so I made a choice, but that was my choice. It was no one else's. And if the government had tried to interfere and limit those choices, uh, well, I'm not too great when the government comes in and starts telling people what to do if it's against their best interests. Kind of a reputation for that at this point. I hear that. <laughs> Um, there's a questioner who says, I appreciate someone who looks like her sharing her experience and having these views to have a better world. So I, I'm assuming that means like a, a woman who is sharing this in this particular area that's not used to seeing this type of representation. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know that I understand the comment. <laughs> um, 
I don't know what looks like her means, <laughs> um, but thank you, I think. Um, <laughs> I think it's a compliment, um, but it's not just my experience, you know, either. Like my mom was raped when she was 13 years old and my grandparents were and still are extremely religious. She wasn't given a choice. She wasn't even allowed to entertain the idea of choice. And so she had my sister when she was 14. And my mom is one of the most pro-choice advocates you'll ever meet, not because she regrets what she's been through, but because she understands the importance of needing to have a choice, of not being forced to have a child as punishment. Children are not punishment. It's the idea that promiscuity results, you know, in, in, a, in a lifetime of being bogged down by a child as some sort of punishment goes against all family and moral values. That's not what children are for. And it's not for anyone else to decide. And if you know anybody who was very young and, and never given that choice, then you'd feel quite differently about it. There's another question that says, well, there's two questions that basically get to the point of how, what are your plans to, number one, work across the aisle, particularly because the first congressional district of Florida is a conservative leaning district. So when I first came down here, one of the um, things I did was hire a tripartisan campaign management team. So I have my resident Democrat, um, and a reformed Republican turned NPA and slowly creeping towards Democrat, although he won't admit it. And then a um, very much establishment Republican managed my campaign. Uh, as much as Matt Gates likens himself to be the Prince of MAGA, even Donald Trump would not grant him a pardon. MAGA people support me because I support working class people. And everyone who wants to support our campaign is more than welcome. I'm never going to ask somebody who they voted for in 2016 or 2020. I don't care who they voted for in 2016 or 2020. What matters is what they do right here and right now. And we need to stop painting our neighbors as, you know, disease vectors of politics. They're just people. And if you talk to them, you're going to find that you have far more in common than you don't. And I'm not running off of these hot button issues that do nothing but make people angry and hate each other. I'm talking about getting Navarre a post office because the only person who has the constitutional authority to do so is your congressional representative, and he hasn't done it. I'm talking about getting flood management and protection across 98 from Gulf Breeze all the way over to Fort Walton Beach. They need it. You know, Shalimar, coastal floods now every time it's a high tide, and they have no mitigation plan, no federal funding to deal with it. There's this giant pot of money in the infrastructure bill that's just sitting there. And because we don't have a congressional representative who can work with anybody, including Republicans in Congress, we're not going to get any of it. And that should not happen. Our whole community, our whole district, almost all of Northwest Florida should not suffer because Gates is insufferable. And I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, there's a handful of Republicans who have set their targets on our school boards. Coordinated attack on our teachers, principals, and superintendents has caused many to transition out of the profession, leaving 9,000 open teacher vacancies. More about that after the break. In 2020, we voted for a better future. We delivered vaccines, stimulus checks, and infrastructure. Every leader pushing our priorities is a Democrat. Why haven't we seen more progress? Trump Republicans side with the rich and sow division to block us. This November, they've got another thing coming. We'll grow the Democratic majority so nothing stands in the way of providing a better life for our families. Way to Win Action Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. Daddy says that no matter our colors, what genders, we all want freedom to live our dreams. But Mommy says that there are bad guys trying to get money and power by telling us who we can be, what we can do, even who we can love, deciding our futures for us. But I'm a superhero. You can be one too if you demand action and vote for freedom to wear a cape or not. I'm going to keep mine on. Uh-oh. 
can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. So school is a place where childhood happens, a place where children of different places, different races, different zip codes, they learn, you know, about our past and our history. They make sense of the present. And hopefully the teachers are preparing them for the future. And while teachers and guidance counselors work hard to deliver our children accurate and honest education, we've got politicians like Matt Gates and Ron DeSantis who try and turn us against our own schools, our own teachers, so that they can censor the lessons taught in our classrooms. This is purely done as a distraction. And I, and I say this over and over again, it's important for us to know, as my guest has said in previous segments, that when you have sit down and actually have conversations with people across the aisle, we all want the same things. So this is purely a divide and conquer strategy. Now they do it because it's the oldest trick in the book and it's effective, it works, but we can't take the bait. Rebecca is back with me. What do you think Matt Gates is not getting when it comes to raising children who attend public school? Oh, uh, that's dangerous territory. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just yeah. thought of that. I just, in, in, yeah. okay. Um, okay, so <laughs> I don't ever want to say that someone who doesn't have kids can't possibly understand what it's like to be a parent because you hear that a lot and it's not meant to be insulting to people who don't have children. It's just that I, I can personally speak as a person who didn't have a child and then did have a child and that my viewpoints completely changed on all of these things that um, when you're taking your kid to public school, uh, like my son has been to Florida's public schools every single grade since kindergarten, you get to know how it works. And he's only gone into counties. So obviously my, experience is limited to within those two counties, but it's the same problems. He's autistic and struggles with ADD and ADHD. And there has not been a single year where we haven't had to redo the 504 and the IEP. And Florida's trying to scale back protections on students with disabilities. Matt Gates actually had my son followed and had pictures taken of him when he was alone at a public event and shared them on social media, mocking him for being low energy. That's the type of thing that is just disgusting and you would hope a parent wouldn't do, but there's also parents who are really terrible parents and hurt children. So that's not an out. And so I'm always careful when I get asked, you know, like what does somebody who doesn't have kids know about having kids in the school system? He's just an ass, I'm sorry. And making fun of my kid for being autistic is gross and inappropriate. And that's not surprising, considering that my son is the same age that Nestor was when he started living with Matt Gates as his teenage house occupant, is my understanding, because there was no I'm... legal adoption that was processed. So teenage house occupant. That's all I'll say about that one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it is, it's not a surprise that they targeting schools. It's been the long game for Republicans in the same way that, you know, repealing abortion was in that they want to privatize education and divest all public funds. That's what the charter school programs are, um, which I am adamantly against. I've seen what happens in a place where charter school programs run wild and that place is Louisiana and it destroyed their public education system. Um, we still have good schools. We don't want this to happen. Unfortunately, the state decides teacher salaries and the state has decided that we should be the third from last in average teacher pay in the entire country. My sister's a public school teacher in Jackson, Mississippi, which if you've been paying attention to the news over the last few months, they've been having all sorts of other issues in addition to their public education system. And um, it worries me that we're creeping towards a place where kids can't just go to school, where it's a lottery, or you get bussed around all over the place because these spots got taken up first by wealthy people and their buddies because it's a charter school that's supposed to be open to everybody. But somehow, the only kids that end up there are the affluent white kids. And Matt Gates, he doesn't get much of anything, but he'll never know what it's like to worry that you know your school is gonna target your child because he has a disability. Or to go to your son's seventh grade orientation 
in a school where they're trying to ban books like the Diary of Anne Frank and see the editor of chief of Breitbart's book sitting on a history teacher's table as preferred reading. So what they're trying to do to schools should terrify every parent and any person who thinks they might want to someday be a parent. Gates wouldn't get that because how many public schools has he actually set foot in when he wasn't trying to pick up a date? Probably not all that many. And that's and, uh, just oh. ignorance of privilege. Yeah, it's true. Um, so it, it, it doesn't, it's not catty if it's true, but um, <laughs> he doesn't get a whole lot about how the world actually works because he grew up as a spoiled little rich boy and his entire world is viewed through a millionaire's lens. Whereas the rest of us, you know, I like the public school system. I was raised in Mississippi's public school system, which is nothing to celebrate. Um, but I went to Syracuse. That's a better school than Matt Gates ever went to. And I got my master's of science degree and he got his in interdisciplinary studies before he went and got his law degree. As he claims, I'm overeducated because I'm more educated than him. And I was raised in one of the worst school districts in the worst state for public education in the country. It's worth investing in, it's worth fighting for. And by uh, the way, their whole plan is working though. Santa Rosa is considered one of the most Republican counties in the state and by default, one of the most Republican counties in the country. And they ran two whack of jobs, you know, far right people. They ran a woman who said that we should execute doctors um, who provide gender affirming care to children. And then I was in Gulf Breeze when she doubled down on that and um, said that it should be criminal to encourage homosexuality as if that's what happens. You know, parents are going out and be like, please be gay. And um, she lost and not by a little because the Republicans who are not crazy, the independents, the NPAs and the Democrats banded together and they voted for Carol Boston, who is very much an establishment type Republican. But we knew that she was someone who would not hurt children. It would not do crazy things. And we soundly and overwhelmingly defeated the QAnon nut lady. And if we can do that in Santa Rosa County, we can do that everywhere. I'm so glad you brought that up because I have been a Democrat since I could register to vote. And the first Republican I ever voted for was Carol Boston. Because I was like, Carol Boston, we may not see ideologically eye to eye, but this crazy one over here, absolutely not. She cannot get on our school board. Oh, we <laughs> so did. I we probably, all voted together. Yeah. So I probably voted for Carol Boston. She's not a, I, I don't agree with her on some stuff too, but she's not a bad person either. She doesn't want to yeah, hurt right. people. I don't think she'd ever do anything to hurt a child or, or pass policies that hurt teachers or target them for something like being married to a same-sex partner and having a picture of their same-sex partner on their desk. Like every other teacher has a picture of their spouse on their desk. I don't think she would ever do anything like that. And her husband, by the way, is hilarious and amazing. Um, also very much a hardcore Republican, but I love the guy. Because they understand that this brand of Republican that has kind of popped up, like the QAnon, far-right fringe, groomer type, um, doesn't belong in their party and doesn't belong in our country. You know, as, as a data scientist, I'm sure you can speak to the role that educational freedom has played, you know, in your life. We're, we're now seeing attacks, and you alluded to this in, in, in previously on people who just simply went to college. Now, Ron DeSantis, who went to Yale and Harvard Law School, has the audacity to talk about us woke college elites, right? I mean, I can tell you one thing. I bet neither you or I could afford to go to Harvard, <laughs> even if we wanted to. Um, so what we know is that for many of us, getting a college degree was, was our ticket into the middle class. Can you, can you talk about how your educational background brought you to this point? So um, being a kid who was hungry a lot, homeless a little, um, whose mom never had the opportunity of education. She got her GED. She tried to take community college classes here and there, but you know, being young with four kids, it's very difficult to do. Um, and she worked almost slaved to make sure that each one of us went to college 
because she told us our whole lives that education was the only thing that no one could ever take from you. You can have a house taken, you can have a car repossessed, you know, your spouse can take off at any time, even your children can die. It's morbid, but it's true. And education would stay with you forever. No one can take it. And it was the key to being able to spend a third of your life doing something that you love. And for us, that meant doing something that made a difference in the world. And so myself and my three siblings were all first-generation college graduates. All four of us went to college. All four of us graduated. Two of us have advanced degrees. Two of us went to top 50 schools. And two of us, you know, went in for the sciences. And now my older sister is a public school teacher. And my younger sister is a nurse. And my younger brother is a police officer. And I became a state scientist working in disaster response. So the spirit of giving back the opportunity that you've been given was very much instilled within us from a very young age. And it's actually even more insulting that Ron DeSantis does that because he did not grow up rich. He got scholarships to go to college. He had to earn it and to turn his back on what he knows because he lived is makes it even more hypocritical. He might be resentful of the kids who could just pay their way through it and didn't have to work for it. I mean, that's Syracuse. Syracuse is one of the richest, you know, student populations in the country. But it's not like that, that they chose that either. They were born into the family that they were born in and they took the opportunities that they had. I just had to work a lot harder to get it. And so did he. And to pretend like what he worked so hard for doesn't have value is incredibly disappointing for one who got out. Well, we're going to close this out shortly, but I had one more question from one of the commenters who was asking about um, minority representation. What does that look like for your campaign? How is people? How are people of color, um, you know, mobilizing for you in your campaign across the district? Uh, if you could speak to that, someone asked about it. Yeah, of course. Um, so my campaign is not nearly as female as I would like it to be, um, but we're working on that. I don't know how me as a feminist, you know, I got endorsed by the Florida Organization for Women today, you know, endorsed by Vote Pro Choice and all these female groups because I've always been a feminist activist. Um, only has a handful of people who are full time staff that are female, but I'm working on it. Um, we're going through a big hiring boost right now. And um, if you're talking about more racial minorities, I have a lot of people who work full-time paid staff on my campaign who are not white. I am plenty white for everyone. I've been told that I am whiter than a North Dakota. <laughs> so, you know, that's okay. I'm aware. Um, and every time I have a meeting with somebody, um, you know, in the black community, I always have, uh, there's this conversation that needs to happen that's like, we know what she looks like. And I was like, that's why that comment earlier was kind of strange. And I was like, yeah, it's like, I didn't, I didn't pick my face. I mean, I put the makeup on it, but you know, that, that happened. And maybe my hair is a little blonder than what it would be naturally. I was like, but yeah, I'm, I'm whiter than a North Dakota blizzard. That's okay. Um, but it doesn't mean that I grew up rich or privileged by any means. And so we do have full-time staff who are not white, who are not men. And we're working on building even more, um, inroads in those communities because it's, understandable that when someone like me walks into a room, there are a whole lot of assumptions about my life, especially with my educational pedigree, about um, my socioeconomic status growing up. And I seem to be an exception to many rules. And I'm still trying to figure out why on earth that is, but um, always open to adding more people. Anybody who wants to join is more than welcome. You can't really represent people if you're not listening to them and you're not engaging them in the issues that most affect them. And the fact of the matter is, is there are some issues I can sympathize with, empathize with and legislate, but I'll never truly in my soul understand what they're like. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> okay. me on this episode of Screen Share. Can you tell, tell the viewers how, um, and the listeners that are people that are listening via audio, how can they reach out if they want to help your campaign, donate to your campaign, volunteer for your campaign? How can they do that? So our new web link is votejones2022.com. Because as you can see from behind me, my first name is spelled the biblical way. 
Uh, my sister's name is Rachel. Uh, my bro brother's name is Gabriel Bryan. So you can kind of get an idea for, you know, how the old biblical names came in my family. So the simplest way to do it is votejones2022.com. We have all of our information on there, our office address, our mailing address, our phone number, our email, our volunteer forms, the donate links. That is your web portal to all things happening at the Jones campaign. We have a office that is fully staffed and open during business hours and then plus. So people, if you work um, during the daytime, you can come afterwards. You can bring your kids. We have a whole library of books that we keep here. Um, you're free to take one of those home. And uh, we're at 40 South Palafox on the second floor. So votejones2022.com. Come see us. Yell at me. Help us. Whatever you want to do. That's the job. Perfect. And guess what? The, the, the live commenter has clarified, since we've been talking about that comment, and says the, the comment was meant as a compliment that as a white woman who may be perceived as privileged, her voice as can be very, very powerful in this space. So, yeah, they're saying that, you know. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's well, going to wrap you. it up for the show. You can follow us. I just said a whole bunch of stuff that I'm being told was not heard. <laughs> so I am going to do one thing. I'm going to reach over to this camera, and back up my prompter. This is live TV, you guys. And I'll back it up. I'll back it up. I'll back it up. I'll back it up. All right. Thank you so much. So again, that wraps up the show. <laughs> You can follow us at We Make Florida on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that notification bell so that you are informed of when we go live. I want to give a special thanks to the Out the House Media production team for putting the show together and letting me know in my ear that no one could hear what the hell I was saying. Leave a comment and tell me <laughs> what you want the next show to be about. And until next time, I want to thank Rebecca Jones for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about your candidacy. But until then, bye, guys.